Welcome to episode 27 of Everything EOS. I'm Zach Gall, the in-house EOS ninja here at ICO <laughs> Alert, the trusted ICO discovery platform. Visit icoalert.com, the most complete calendar of all active and upcoming ICOs. And I'm here today with the founder and CEO of block producer Cypherglass, fresh in the top 21. Oh, yeah. Rob Finch. Thank you all so much for joining us for yet another episode of Everything EOS. We love doing this show. It's the favorite part of our week. And thank you for joining us yet again. Um, please keep leaving us feedback and comments about the show. When we go in, we read the YouTube comments, we read the replies on Twitter. It, it makes us smile, all the positive feedback we get. So please continue to leave that and let us know that you enjoy it by liking, subscribing, or following the podcast wherever you may be listening. As a reminder, uh, about five weeks ago, we started doing video. So if you're, all, if you're still listening on iTunes, which is still the majority of our traffic, head over to YouTube and search for everything EOS and catch the video. We spend a lot of time with the graphic overlays whenever we're talking about different topics. So come out, check out the video if you haven't yet. Um, but we're happy if you're listening. Uh, as a second reminder, please like, subscribe, subscribe, comment. Um, whatever type of engagement you can provide us, it helps other people find our content. If you like our content, other people hopefully will find value also. So help us out by liking, subscribing, and commenting wherever you're watching or listening. Yeah, and before we get started, I do need to mention that this podcast is not sponsored. Nobody is paying us to do this podcast, including Block One or anybody else. We're just two passionate members of the EOS community who are talking about this open source software. Uh, as a matter of disclosure, before we do get started, there are two tokens we're going to be talking about on the podcast um, that either of us may own. The first is EOS, and the second is the DICE token. So we're going to be talking a lot about that today. Um, please, anything we're saying when we're expressing our opinions, don't take those opinions as legal, financial, tax, professional, or any other kind of advice, uh, and always do your own research before you make any financial decisions. On today's podcast, we will be discussing the recent launch of Chintai, a new EOS proxy, a top gambling dApp that just recently reached 5,000 daily active users, and more about the recent controversy surrounding Huobi and other block producer collusion. Here we go. Let's go. All right, so Cypherglass in the top 21. Let's kick it off with that. We are uh, back. So this morning, it looks like a lot of the Bitfinex proxy votes got shuffled around. We got a bunch more votes from them. Um, shout out to the voters that are voting through Bitfinex's voting portal. We really do appreciate it. We are back in the top 21, went from 26 to 21. So we're, we're right there at the bottom, but happy to be back. Um, and I wanted to take this time to do a quick reminder, other than you know saying thank you to every single person that voted. Um, remember, even if you only have, say, 5, 10 EOS tokens, block producers are paid based on the amount of votes we get. So even if you only have 10 tokens, voting those 10 tokens towards the block producers that you care about directly impacts the amount of money that they're making, and thus the amount of money they can reinvest back into the EOS network. So if you're sitting on the sidelines, you haven't voted yet because maybe you don't think your vote counts, know that your vote does count because it directly impacts the amount of money that the BPs are making. So please get out there and vote for your top block producers. And to add to that, uh, like Rob just said, not every uh, good block producer, is not all of them are in the top 21. So basically the, the way the uh, block producer rewards work are if you're in the top 21, uh, there's there's what a, a flat rate that you get so there's two different types of pay there's block production pay and then there's vote pay yeah. if you're in the top 21 you get the block production pay and vote pay mm -hmm. so you get more money based on the amount of votes you get but if you're out of the top 21 you only get paid based on the number of votes you get so it's even more crucial for people outside of that yeah so it, a lot of I think a lot of people what they're doing is it's really hard to keep up with all these block producers we're gonna get into talking about proxies later I highly recommend using a proxy if you can't keep up on everything 
I, I think that's a, a much better uh, solution than just voting for five to 10 block producers that you are familiar with. Or not voting at all. It's, it's always better to delegate if you can. Mm -hmm. Because there's so many good block producers. You guys were out of the 21 for a while. There's, there's a, many, many other block producers outside the top 21 who yep. deserve um, wh whatever support you can give them. And that, that's how their rewards are paid is based on a vote percentage. So you could really help them out uh, by, by voting for them, even if they're, they're pretty far away from the top 21. Definitely. So moving on to the uh, first announcement, which is Chintai, that sort of <laughs> you know long-awaited token leasing platform. And I think we should take a, a quick moment to talk about what that actually is and what it means. Um, so when you own EOS tokens, if you own, say, 1% of all the EOS tokens, you then own 1% of the computational power of the network, 1% of the bandwidth, and soon 1% of the storage on the network. So owning EOS tokens is kind of like owning real estate in this digital world, and you own the, the you know, guaranteed amount of transactions that you can send with those EOS. But you know, in the future, when, let's say, EOS token price is much, much higher, when there's more demand for those resources that your EOS tokens give you, you're going to need a place for developers to come in and still be able to use those resources um, at a rate that doesn't break their bank. So what comes in then is a, a leasing platform where people who own EOS tokens can lease the power out to other people who are looking to just use, you know, the power to send transactions and perform different The actions. way you just described that is the, the reason there were issues with the UI when, at the launch. So maybe, yeah. So if you guys haven't been keeping track, I, um, I haven't been fully invested in Chintai as far as uh, keeping up with it because I wasn't in any hurry to try to rent out my tokens because I know there's not a huge demand for the additional CPU. Most, most people could afford enough tokens to get the CPU, CPU that they're going to use. That's definitely going to change in the future. There's definitely a lot of value to the Chintai model or the Rex when that's available. But uh, the key word that you said was lease out. Yep. So from what I understand, when, when Chintai first launched, there, there was a major confusion with, with the two options. So we know like in a marketplace, there's buyers and sellers. Yep. And then in the Chintai marketplace, there's leasers and then stakers. And that, that was uh, the verbiage I believe that they used for the buttons were stake and lease. And most people uh, were clicking the button to, to lease tokens. Yeah. <laughs> which the way you described it is lease out your tokens. Yep. That's kind of like the way you think about it is I want to lease them out and make money. Yep. But what happened was lease actually meant buy the token or buy the, <laughs> buy the rental model tokens. So it's kind of like I'm going to lease a car. Yeah. So it's actually a, a buy order and not a, not a rent mo order. And it seemed like there were a lot of people that made that mistake and were all over Telegram oh, asking yeah. for help. It was it was really a horrible situation because people thought they were going in, you know, leasing at something like ninety five percent interest, which is too good to be true as it is. But they went out, you know, putting up thirty thousand EOS sometimes to, to lease out to somebody. And what they thought they were doing was they were leasing their tokens to somebody else, but because of the terminology confusion, they were actually buying that leasing power from someone else and lost that oh thirty thousand EOS. So I can't so, even imagine my, so, my heart goes out to those guys yeah i can't even imagine so they they log in for the first time to chintai and they see wow people are willing to pay a ton of money for my tokens yep. i'm gonna lease my token yeah meanwhile that price they're looking at was a, a price that was i don't know what it was but it's probably absurd yeah for, for what i think it was 95 percent interest which is it's it's ridiculous over any any period of time that's ridiculous interest but especially over a 30 day or 28 day period so i believe what happened was chintai suspended 
the the system temporarily yep. and it i haven't uh, it looks like so i'm looking at it right now it looks like they fixed it so now it's it's much clearer they have borrow as one of the, the terms for when you're borrowing mm. it from someone else and then they have lend for when you're lending it out and then a little warning pops up when you go to borrow that says heads up um uh, lease order selected do you really want to pay eos for bandwidth so they're telling people you're going to pay eos for the bandwidth with this type of order but you know, even with this being fixed a little bit with borrow and lend, I think there's more that they could do. Maybe it could say borrow EOS from others or lend your EOS to others just to make it explicitly clear what you're doing so that that confusion doesn't happen again and that loss doesn't happen again. But So, so that's your order book up on your screen. I'll, I'll yeah. share a screen share whenever we publish this. But is that the greens, the buy orders? Is there? Yeah, the green is the buys. The red is the sells. So the red's obviously at, at pretty much every amount of interest. Um, but it looks like there's really only one buy order on the seven day, 14 day, 21 day and 28 day leasing market. So that's the time period for which you'd like to lease the tokens. And it's about 0.01%. So very low. If you leased out 100,000 EOS, you would get 10 EOS for that period. Um, Again, this is something where it's cool to see Jintai come out and, and prove that leasing functionality that's built into you know the EOSIO code. But there's really not enough demand yet, yeah. I think, for people to make any substantive amount of money off of leasing their tokens. You know, a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, I think that demand will be very, very real, and this will be you know another source of passive income for people. That's my speculation. But right now, it's just something that I don't think many people are going to use. The the capacity of the network's not even close. I mean, we, we, have, oh, no. we have surges, yeah. but e even those are temporary. They're mostly, uh, I'd say, would you say that most of the times whenever we surge to capacity, it's because of spam? Oh, definitely. It's, it's been the block Twitter guys until they got gray listed, which just prevents them from surging. They still have their guaranteed allocation, but prevents them from surging. So. And the other thing is the block producers are going to continuously be building up their infrastructure over the next couple years, at least, if not forever, yep. definitely forever. But Definitely more so in the next couple of years. So hopefully we won't be hitting CPU limits for a while. Yeah. So it, it's nice that they're building this out. They're testing it. They already worked out some of the kinks from, from just their launch. And then we know uh, Block One's coming out with the Rex, which is just going to be something very similar. But yeah. Chintai said that they're going to come up with other services. Uh, for their platform. I don't know what that is yet. Yeah, who knows? And it'll be interesting to see what happens. But, you know, let's say you can make 5% a year off of leasing your tokens in the future. That's a pretty good rate. And something you've talked about is sort of this competing with a savings account in some way mm -hmm. where you have a long-term savings account, you put some EOS into it, um, and you're making 5% extra a year. Plus, you have that upside and downside potential of the actual underlying EOS token. So I, I think once we get to that point, that's when EOS, I don't think it was intended to be a store of value. Right. But it, it has it, it's set up to be once you're able to use whether it's um, there's been talk about uh, distributing the fees from the recs and from the uh, name auctioning yeah. and from the RAM trading. There, there's been discussions of why not uh, distribute that to everyone who has their their vote or their EOS token staked for voting. Yeah. So that, that's something that could potentially happen in the future. And if more and more services come out on the mainnet that charge some sort of percentage fee on a transaction basis and if the volume is high enough that that could actually turn into a, a large sum that's being redistributed there might be a point in time where like you said you, if you could earn five percent interest by leasing your bandwidth yep. of the tokens you own that's a five percent interest on eos you're not you're not getting five percent on dollars yeah you're getting 5% on the token oh, itself. Oh, that sounds so good to me. So, yeah. <laughs> so 100 tokens would turn into 105 tokens. And if, if we're at the point where we're like creeping up on mainstream adoption, 
then we could assume that the token value is also going up. Right. So it's going to be multiplied. If the token triples in price or doubles in price, and then you're also getting 5% more tokens. Oh, yeah. It, it would only make sense to, to hold your tokens. Oh, definitely. And I hope we see more and more leasing platforms like this come out. I think Rex is limited to something, at least in the proposal, like only 30-day timeframes, where it's cool to see Chintai have other different timeframes from seven days up to 28. But I hope we see more. I hope we see ones that allow you to do it for a year or two years. I'm curious experiment to with see it. how they differentiate themselves. Yeah. Because the Rex, we know that that is in some way, shape, or form going to benefit the EOS network as a whole through, right. through the redistribution of, of the fees collected. Uh, at first, they'll just be going into the uh, EOS savings account, basically yep. the same account that um, the current fees from the RAM trading model are going into. Actually, and, those are in separate accounts, I believe. So EOSIO.RAMFEE, I think it is, is uh, where the RAM trading fees go. So you can see them all separately broken out. Okay. And then savings the savings is just the 4% inflation. Exactly. None That's of the fees the, are going into The extra savings. 4% inflation that hasn't been allocated yet might be burned, might be worker proposal fund. We'll see what happens. See, that's why I bring this guy around. He's really smart. <laughs> he, he knows the system better than I do. Um, but yeah, I'm... That's that's my question is um, if they offered equal services um, from a consumer standpoint, if there were less fees on something like Chintai, people would probably want to make the most money. Yep. So it's, it's kind of like aligning incentives. And I'm curious to see how how they become aligned, because if you care about the network as a whole and the, the trading fees or the, uh, from the recs going towards something that benefits the entire network. Um, that's one thing. And then the other thing would be on, on Shintai might be better for the consumer. Definitely. So I don't know how, if they're the exact same services, how that that's all going to play out. Right. But, uh, yeah, we don't know enough about the Rex to really speculate on this at this point. Exactly. That, it'll be interesting to see. And, you know, it'll be cool to see more sort of applications use different things that are already built into the EOSIO code, like leasing, you know, delegating bandwidth and just having a, a payment model around that. There are going to be other things like this that come up. So it'll be cool to kind of see how that develops. I'm curious to see. So there's a lot of DEXs that have already come out. Uh, did you... You were at the SVK event. You didn't get to see the EOS Phoenix demo, did you? No, did, I didn't. That was at Blockchain Live later. Uh, I believe so. So she was at Blockchain Live, our community manager, Adriana. Um, I think she saw that and all the other demos. Mm -hmm. I really want to see how that factors in, too, because, I mean, Dan built BitShares. Everyone's talked about a new BitShares could yeah. be built on top of EOS. We've seen Stan Larimer, Dan Larimer's <laughs> father, talking about BitShares EOS. Yep. And that, that's a direct quote of what he called it. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to see if either BitShares is going to port something over and just keep the name BitShares or if block one's working on something, but if they build a DEX, uh, their DEX would probably be just like we've talked about with the Rex and Ram trading, where there's a fee involved and that fee goes, goes towards the ecosystem as a whole, whether it's right. redistributed or if it funds arbitration or funds something else that we haven't even thought I about could, yet. I could totally see BitShares actually making their own side chain where, you know, a lot of these projects in the future, the way that they're going to scale is by setting up a side chain, kind of a, kind of a copy of the main EOS blockchain, but it links in with the main EOS blockchain. It doesn't make any more EOS tokens. It just allows for more capacity, more throughput, and then you can very quickly sort of talk to all the other chains that are connected. So from the user's perspective, it's as if you're just using one giant chain, but I could see BitShares spinning up a side chain, keeping their BitShares token, and then part of the trading fees and things that go on on that network go to the BitShares token holders. So who knows what'll happen there, but. So I'm curious to see uh, if there's all these different DEXs and they all have different fee models I, I can't see the general public or normal layperson not using the one 
that has the lowest fees for themselves, which doesn't necessarily align incentives with uh, increasing the health of the network. I mean, if you think about it in the future, let's say there are a hundred, a year from now, there are a hundred side chains that are all connected to the main chain. Everybody's going to have a main chain account and all of the, the, you know, the billion EOS tokens will be accounted for on that main chain. Everything else is kind of extra. You still take that same account with you to a side chain. You still take those EOS tokens with you to a side chain. So none of that changes. It's just a way to sort of compartmentalize an app or a dApp in this case and give it more throughput, its own RAM pool and stuff like that. So. So what are, what are your thoughts on um, like the fees being collected on the, the RAM trading market right now? There's, a, uh, I think, a half a percent fee for the buyer and a half percent fee for the seller. Yep. There's the name auctioning. That's all currently going on. Yep. So those fees are just sitting in an account right now, correct? Yeah. What, what, in your opinion, how should these fees collected through things that Block One are, is building how do you think those fees should be spent? I think in one of two ways. I think the, the fees should either be completely burned or destroyed. Because right now, the amount of inflation um, that the block producers take is 1%. But the amount of fees that are being taken on RAM trading, because there's so much RAM trading going on, it was a little more than 1%. So it's actually offsetting that block producer inflation entirely and basically paying all of the BPs for free because there's no new inflation generated for that. So I'd like to see those extra tokens burned, destroyed completely so that it really does offset that inflation. Or I'd like to see it distributed evenly to all of the EOS token holders proportionally based on how much EOS they hold. So not, not based on unique accounts? Or based on unique accounts. I think if, you know, let's say that biometric wallet comes out from block one, we see that then they distribute to unique accounts. I think that would be fine with me too because it's really pushing that, that identity layer forward, pushing the innovation there. But So we've talked about this biometric wallet enough times now. Yeah. It, it has yet to make an appearance yeah. except for rumors of people who uh got to see it in person demoed by dan in yeah. london uh was that you that shared me the rumor that it was submitted to the app store yeah so wrecked kid on twitter um came out and posted shout out to wrecked kid if you're watching this said that he spoke with someone who said that it had been submitted to the app store An anonymous source yeah whether or not that's true or it's just made a bullshit we don't really know um but it, i'm optimistic that it seems like maybe they hit a delay with Apple or something. The average App Store approval time for an app is six days. So if they really did submit it last week, maybe it'll come out tomorrow. But realistically, I think for an app like that that uses the secure enclave on the device, it's going to take Apple a lot longer to actually approve it and test it and go through all those iterations. So we'll see what happens. What do you put, what do you put the odds at of us seeing the biometric wallet before the end of October? Ooh, end of October. Yeah. I don't know. You're, I would you're, say you're a betting guy. I would say sixty percent. It comes out by end of October. But I would say, and this is just my personal opinion, near hundred percent chance we get it by the end of the year. I, I I think we could agree on by the end of the year. Yeah. Um. So, with, with the blockchain live event recently and the hackathon and all the all the uh, things that happened in London, there there's a lot of really good content that that was created uh, during that time period of uh, videos con constantly getting posted to YouTube. Yeah. Um, and a lot of insight into what's going on with Block One because for the last, let's say, few weeks to definitely, few weeks for sure, um, they've been quiet. We've been kind of wondering what they've been up to, but they dropped a lot of, they've dropped a lot of nuggets in, in some of their uh, panels and speeches they gave. And uh, one that sticks out in my mind was uh, Brendan Bloomer, the CEO of Block One. He, he specifically laid out a timeline of, uh, end of 2018 or early 2019 to like yeah. quarter one 
to start seeing some applications coming out from yeah. Block One. That was an interview Brandon Bloomer did with, I think it was Bloomberg Markets. If you go to my Twitter at Finchify, I think you might have it as well, at Blockchain Zach with a K. Um, you can watch the video, but saying their first products, like their first projects, mostly dApps that are going to be built on EOS, end of this year, early next year. So that's super exciting. Yes, we can confirm that. Um, we did a strategic round a little bit um, uh, a couple months ago. And, uh, you know, these, this technology is really a, um, a platform that allows us to start to disrupt some of the large centralized uh, technology platforms today. Um, and these are leaders in that space. And our next plans will make it in terms of what we build on the application ourselves. It'll become a little more apparent why we chose the investors that we have. Okay. And when are you planning to release that information? Hopefully at the end of this year, or early next. Okay. Um, now... To, to another point of something that they've said, um, when Brendan sort of squashed a lot of the rumors before the London event, he also said, hey, when we release our first product, whether he's referring to the wallet or whether he's referring to a dApp, it's unclear. But he did say that they would schedule their own product launch event for it. So maybe, you know, when you, you publish an app on the App Store, you have the ability to not let it go live as soon as it's approved. You can also mm. hold it yourself and then click a button whenever you want and boom, it's out there. So they may be planning an event where Maybe it's at the hackathon. Maybe it's a totally separate event where they unveil this wallet and some other things like the identity system that go along with it, and then they'll push it out. So maybe but this is an Apple. Maybe it's Block One themselves. That makes a lot of sense because it's, all, it's control of the release. Yeah. Why would they want to just be like, Apple, here, we're, we're sending this in. You're probably not even going to tell us when it's approved. It's just going to get approved and appear on the App Store. Yeah. That'd be silly. Oh, yeah. They, they want to roll this out. They want to take advantage of... Uh, all of the hype, I guess, behind it also, but yeah. to make a big announcement because this, this is a big deal. It seems like the products that they're building on top of EOS are either products that weren't possible before with, without a scalable blockchain, or it, it's just stuff we've been anticipating for a really long time that yeah. it just makes more sense uh, for them to tie it in with an event, whether it's the grand finale of the hackathon, which was recently announced to be in Cape Cod, is that their <laughs> Not no? Cape Cod. Um, Cape Town, South Africa. Cape, yeah. Cape I think Town. Cape Cod is in the, the U.S. Yeah. But it's close enough. You gotta have yeah, it. close enough. Cape something, but right? Cape Town, South Africa. The first um, EOS hackathon to ever be in Africa at all. But also, I don't think, and, and I may be wrong, but I don't think we've seen any other blockchain or crypto hackathons in the entire continent of Africa. So it, it's pretty crazy to see this happening. And I think there's a huge EOS community in South Africa, especially. There's EOS Africa. That's a, They do a bunch of events and meetups there. To, so to see Block One recognizing and sort of promoting the fact that EOS is a truly global network and a truly global movement and going to places like Africa that other people aren't going, I think is awesome. And I give them huge props for making the grand finale where they're giving away a million and a half dollars in prizes in South Africa. I think that's amazing. We talk about the disruption that, that blockchain-based products can, can create in the whole global economy. And whenever you're trying to explain to someone the benefits of blockchain or cryptocurrencies, it's very difficult to get the point across talking to another American. And the biggest reason behind that is because we're probably the people in the world least likely to, to care about this because I can send you money feeless through a Venmo or a, yep. a, a PayPal friends and family. There's no reason I, I can't already do the, the feeless transactions, and they seem instantaneous to us. There's a lot going on in the background where, where the wealth's being transferred, so there's still value in, in the architecture of how that value is transferred. But everyone accepts our money. You, I was just in Europe last week, and I, I went with uh, Dmitry Chesnikov, who also works here at uh, ICO Alert, and he had US dollars on him. He didn't convert to euros, and... <laughs> 
he, he needed a bottle of water somewhere and he didn't have euros and he basically paid double for the water by getting them to accept dollars. Yeah. Like if, if that would happen in the US and someone tried giving me pesos or something, yeah. it didn't oh, no matter way. how many pesos they wanted to give me. I'd be like, no, yeah. it's basically a shit coin. Well, and to your point, I mean, people who are experiencing hyperinflation, like in Venezuela, where their hyperinflation is expected to hit a million percent. If you had a million dollars in Venezuelan currency, like earlier this year, at the beginning of the year, that's now worth about $30. So to imagine your, your value just going away is something I don't think Americans can comprehend because we haven't really lived through it. No, and we, we saw what re happened recently in Turkey. Th these yeah. are easy use something cases all over the world. to explain the reason crypto is revolutionary is that's an easy use case is, okay, well, imagine if you had $100 in your bank account and next week it's still $100, but it can only buy half of what it could buy before. Yep. Basically, the price of the consumer goods you're buying doubled, but the money you have stayed the same. That, that's what happens with hyperinflation. Yep. We've seen that in Venezuela, we've seen that in Turkey, and I, I couldn't imagine living in there. Oh God. But what I was getting to is, Africa is the continent with the biggest chance to be disrupted through a digital currency market because that is the country, or not the country, the continent with the highest percentage of unbanked people. Mm -hmm. So if you weave baskets for a living, that's all you do is you just weave baskets all day. And you're, you're trading these baskets probably for other goods, or if, or if there's a money transfer involved, you can't really trust the money. And if you do trust the money, it's cash, you probably don't have access to a bank yep. to deposit that cash in. So if you've been following EOS for a long enough time, you probably know this story already, but the story of the M-Pesa. Yeah. So the M-Pesa, I forget, is it Nairobi, Africa? Do you remember the country it's in? Uh, I think it's in several countries in Africa, but basically it's, it's cell phone minutes. Yeah, so basically whatever country this is in, I don't have it in front of me. Um, it is the high, it, it's the most advanced digital currency market in the whole world. The, the, it's, it's not a cryptocurrency, it's actually cell phone minutes and they're called M-Pesa. So every citizen in this country gets a monthly stipend of M-Pesa minutes. But not everyone needs all their minutes, so, so there's an excess of them. Yeah. But, but, other, but because everyone gets the same amount every month, they use it as a store of value and a medium of, of exchange and they could send it instantaneously through a text message. Yeah. So it's not, not a trustless system, but it's being used as a peer-to-peer -peer bank, essentially. Yeah. Instead of you buying my basket for, for dollar, or for whatever their currency is, and me having nowhere to deposit, you would send me your cell phone minutes in yeah. exchange for my baskets. And Bill Gates and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation are some of the, I think they were the initial backers of M-Pesa and what helped it grow. There are a lot of problems with the centralization that, that could definitely be solved. But I think one of the main points about just giving people access to a new technology like this, if you look at statistics for what happens when people in poverty are given access to the internet, one in 10 of those people that were in poverty before will bring themselves out of poverty without any other help just because now they have access to the, the world of information on the internet, whether they're learning new skills online or they can find a job online, they could do all kinds of stuff. 10% of those people are now no longer in poverty just because they got connected. Imagine what's gonna happen when you connect 10 people to not only the internet, but now the blockchain, they have their own bank in their pocket, they have access to financial resources and investments in their pocket. 
imagine how many of those 10 people are then going to be brought out of poverty on their own just being connected to this new technology. So to think about this and to think about the implications this has, not just for places like Africa, but even for places in the U.S. where a huge percentage of people are, are in poverty today, mm -hmm. to, to see the potential change this could have gets me so excited and gives me like chills just thinking about it and talking about it. So, so, so you mentioned uh, how there's going to be a lot of side chains. The, the, yeah. the narrative coming from block one has changed significantly from before the mainnet launch. I don't think um, it, it's been quoted. Uh, millions of chains are, are expected. I, I think Bloomer has said that recently. And Dan said it on a, a I tweeted about it. Um, he did an interesting panel with him, Joseph Lubin, somebody from Ripple, and then some other consultant. I'm in the middle of that when I started watching it's it so morning. good. I didn't get to finish it yet. There are some interesting tidbits there. Dan mentions like they want to, he didn't say they wanted to build a browser at Block One, but mentions that the browser is a crucial part of the ecosystem. So whether they go out and buy a smaller browser like Opera that has millions of users and integrate EOS in some way, or they build their own, or maybe that comment was misunderstood, I don't know. But a lot of interesting tidbits happening in that interview. Speaking of browsers, I don't have it in my notes, but uh Scatter Wallet. I'll just, yeah. Uh, it looks like Scatter Wallet is now going to be available, or at least in the very near future, with not only Chrome where it is now, but also Safari and Firefox. So that that's huge because, yeah. I mean, you don't want to limit people's usage because you're not going to get me off of Chrome, for instance. Yeah. Like, I'm going to use I'm Chrome. It, it doesn't matter how much you tell me Opera is great. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not getting off Chrome. I have no reason to get off Chrome. I like it. All my stuff's there. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you're not, it's not going to happen. So uh, I think the speaking of scatter and integrated with dApps, there's some interesting dApp news coming out recently. So as an update, the, the Patreos, which is basically a decentralized Patreon that allows people to you know pay YouTubers and, and reward content creators for the content they give them, um, finished their snapshot on October 1st, and the actual airdrop is coming on October 8th. So next week, finally, another airdrop, one that I'm very, very excited about at Patreos, and I think I'll be holding those tokens for a little while. Um, excited to see that happening. But then also, we have a new number one dApp in the world in terms of daily uh -oh. active users, which is BetDice. So if you go to dApp Radar and you click on the EOS dApps tab, you can see crazy statistics about the number of users in 24 hours, the volume, uh, the, the transaction volume, all kinds of stuff. And BetDice now is the number one with uh, almost 5,500 unique users in the last 24 hours, which is the top of all the dApps off of, you know, across every single platform, so. So is EOS turning everyone into a bunch of degenerate gamblers? <laughs> I think it might be. I mean, it's interesting. So EOS bet came out, took the world by storm, has done almost a quarter billion dollars in bet Jeez. volume on their platform in like a month, an insane amount of money. And they're taking one and a half percent fee off oh. of that. So BetDice came out, they said, hey, we think we can do this a little faster, we can do a little better. Did a small token sale over the last couple of days where they're selling out these dividend tokens. I did participate as a matter of disclosure. Um, I wasn't invited, I'm not cool enough. <laughs> was it public? Yeah, it was uh, public. I saw Maple Leaf Caps uh, tweet about it, read their white paper and thought, oh, I'll, I'll spend like a, a small percentage of my portfolio on this and just see what happens with it. I think if they can continue to come out with more games like they say they're going to. So they have a token called Dice, that's a dividend token, but beyond that, in the dice game that they have, which is basically a, a carbon copy of US Bet, they're going to come out with other games like poker and a lottery and, and lucky draw and all kinds of stuff. So. so we were talking about this before we started recording because you pulled up uh, Bet Dice and I, I looked at the UI and I, I recognized it because yeah. I played US Dice before. Yeah. It looks like a complete ripoff of it, which is fine because it has the same functionality. But that brings up a big limitation of open source software. There's always that fear of, of someone else take, taking your code. Oh, absolutely. And that, that's why a lot of these projects have a, a native token to it, because then if they could add value to that token, then yep. you, you can't transfer that out if you, if you copy the code. 
But what we're seeing, and EOS Dice, I think, proved the model of a fee-based model for, a, for a building a business on top of EOS, where, uh, as far as I know, EOS Dice didn't raise any money before they launched, right? Right. They came they out. They do have a native token. They, they do have a native token, the Dice token, which you can use to gamble on the platform, but also is used um, as a method of dividend distribution. So half of the profit that they make... You know, part of it goes into the bankroll. I think 40% of it, 10% goes to the team, and the other half gets distributed out to the token holders. So very similar to the EOS bet, bet token model. So the limitation here is with these fee-based models, a lot of some a portion of those fees fund past development, future development, yep. and making making the products better. But the the bulk of the work for let's say EOS Dice was to just get the game up and running in the first place. Yeah. And then they had a fee-based model. I'm not sure. Is it one percent? I think Bet Dice takes a. It's either one or one and a half. It might be the same as EOS Bet, but somehow through their marketing or, or whatever it may be, they've managed to get almost ten times the users of EOS Bet. So that, that's what I was getting to. If if we are talking about strictly a fee-based model on yeah. something, a simple gambling platform, you're just rolling a dice. What's to stop someone from just forking your code, charging less of a fee? But then it really comes down to user adoption and marketing to get yeah. the users. So I, I think that that's the key there too, is to be well, able to create that viral marketing to get the users. And also things like bankroll, where you know, it, from a, a gambling or casino perspective, you never want to have more than ten percent of your total bankroll at risk across all of your games at any one time. Mm -hmm. So you need, if you want, for example, the max bet for somebody to place to be fifty thousand EOS, you need to have, if you only have that one game, you need to have five hundred thousand EOS in your bankroll at any one time. So there will there will be more use cases, more games can be supported as one platform gets more and more support, and then bigger bets can be had. So you see crazy headlines like, "Person wins half a million EOS <laughs> on this platform," and you know you'll see cool stuff like that. But to your point, I mean, there will be, and maybe Bet Dice will get forked in the future, and somebody else will make a new token and do it a little better, which I think is is a, a cool part. As long as it continuously improves, it, yeah. it creates very stiff competition, but it, it just. To me, looking at it from the outside, it looks like whoever's a first mover is sometimes taking a large risk because they're the ones developing the initial code. They're not building necessarily on top of someone else's code. Definitely. So there, there's always that risk, but I guess if you're a first mover and you get the users, it something has to come out that's above and beyond and better to force those users to leave. Absolutely. Well, if you look at EOS Bet, EOS Bet still has about four times the actual transactional volume of Bet Dice, just less users. So what that tells me is there's the people who can make a bigger bet there because of the bankroll are sticking with EOS Bet, and other people maybe are making smaller bets are going Speaking of to big bet dice. bets, man, both of them, like I said, they both have similar UI. Yep. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll do a graphic on here so that people would see it, but there are some massive massive bets going on so they have like a live feed of everyone's wagers that that they're wagering yeah. for rolling a dice and people are winning and losing one two thousand five thousand eos oh yeah per roll it's kind of scary it's insane and in in the telegram groups I, i've seen people saying I, i'm not a, i've never been a gambler before stay away from these games oh, yeah. and then they tell a personal story of getting completely wrecked oh yeah i think a lot of these things if you don't have the self-control you should never touch these that's why i don't i don't touch the the gambling portion of these the i mean you can see right now we have it up on the screen mostly people betting dice but there's like a 10 eos 100 eos mm -hmm. uh 20 eos but i mean if you look on eos but especially there are tons of just huge bets well, one, one thing i will say about EOS Dice, well, I'll say EOS Dice because that's the one I'm familiar with, was it is a great way to demonstrate the speed of EOS. Oh, absolutely. To, to someone. Um, when, I, when I was at Blocktoberfest, the conference I was at last week in Germany, 
I was basically telling a lot of the people that were there about EOS for the first time, even though uh, Veon, the project building their, their protocol on top of EOS, they're familiar with EOS, but a lot of the people at the conference weren't nearly as familiar. Yeah. And I was telling them how easy it was. So during lunch, I, I did a quick demonstration. Nice. I used the EOS Link's wallet, yeah. which, which uh, I'm, I haven't tested a bunch of other ones. I, uh, someone I work with here has mentioned there's, is it Meet One? Yeah, the Meet One app is really good. It's pretty I good. have that one. You can't download it from the App Store. I think you have to get it off of their website and install it. It's a little weird, but it's a really good app. But I'm familiar with EOS Links and EOS Dice. Mm -hmm. So what I did was in front of everyone, I had like 12 people around me at a table watching this. <laughs> I was like, let's pretend I've never had a wallet before and I'm starting from absolute scratch. Yeah. So I demonstrated, in the, well, I already had it downloaded, so I didn't have to download it, but I, I created a brand new wallet. I showed them how it charged me fiat through the app store, mm -hmm. created a brand new wallet. I don't know if it's a dollar, $2, whatever. I, I think I create, called it Veyon Rules, like one, 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 one. Yeah. I wanna see, see this to prove that it happened. Um, and I, so I created a new account. It had zero EOS in it, but it was instantaneous. I had this wallet all of a sudden. Yep. And everyone uh, trying to bash EOS says, it, it's, you have to pay for a wallet, it's so difficult. But this wasn't difficult at all. And then I transferred myself uh, five EOS tokens from another account I had instantaneous transfer wow and then so now i had an account with funds in it yeah from, from nothing i had nothing before so i had this brand new account five eos tokens in it and then i said all right let me go to eosdice.io or whatever the address is i connected it directly to the uh the eos links wallet yeah and i was able to start rolling that dice and i said every time i hit this button do you see any lag? It's a half second latency. As soon as I roll the dice, it gives me the results. Yep. And I ended up losing all my yes. <laughs> and it, it was a good Everybody lesson. Was like, yeah, roll again, roll again. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah. And it was great because nobody there had ever experienced it before. Yeah. And they were all crypto blockchain nerds just like wow. me. But this was the first time that they were exposed to it because yeah. with blockchain and cryptocurrencies it, it's like a religion everyone has their religion they belong to we are in the eosio religion but there's still a lot of people in the ethereum religion i'd say that's the the biggest one of them all and a lot of these uh people these other investors or, or business people entrepreneurs there they're all mostly familiar with ethereum yeah so this just absolutely blew their mind they're oh, like yeah. this is on the blockchain yeah, yeah. and it's instantaneous and you, i lost all my money and you wow. saw it that quick that's so that's a great way to, to show people especially if they already know what a blockchain is and, and they've used something like ethereum where they mm -hmm. have to wait a minute for that thing to confirm they have to pay a 60 cent fee just mm -hmm. to send that transaction it would have taken you 30 minutes to show them that demo on ethereum exactly so that's like that's that's a really good idea to show people and this it was great too because the panel i was on was basically about the future use cases and applications and what it comes down to is you need to be using these applications that you don't really know or care you're on a blockchain yeah i the only interaction with the blockchain that i had was i still had to copy my private key and store it somewhere when i right. created this wallet that was the only part in this entire process that it felt like i was on a blockchain yeah and i had to do something that wasn't familiar to someone who just is familiar with the internet huh. That's so great. I mean, it brings up an interesting point. You're not the, the first person who said it, but it's very true where when you use EOS, you finally get it. You realize it. So if you're out there, maybe you're listening to this podcast, you liked Ethereum, you like something else, whatever you've used before. If you haven't used EOS, go try it. Download the EOS Links app, LYNX, and set up an account like that. But a tweet from at C4, the number four chaos, 
um, tweeted out something very similar to that. I'm still bullish on Ethereum, but once I started using the EOS wallet, dApps, and experienced the blazingly fast fee-less tra transactions and the user-friendly ecosystem tools, it's really a no-brainer why it will surpass Ethereum a few months from now. Don't take my word for it. Try it. And I've seen tons of these tweets where people go, oh, wow, you know, I was sitting here arguing about EOS, but now when I actually used it, I finally get why yeah. it's such a big deal. It, it, it's the best demonstration you could possibly do. That's such a good demonstration. I love that. It, 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 none of this is going to work until we're not. I, I think Dan said it that we'll know we reached the place we need to go with blockchain when no one's talking about blockchain exactly. anymore. Exactly. It, it's just something that goes on in the background. You don't even need to know it's happening. Yeah. And besides having to say, since it was a throwaway account, I actually just. I think I just copy and pasted this private key, so I like just skip that. Yeah. Essentially, I usually just but take a screenshot. That's the only and then... piece of it that felt like a blockchain. Everything else, hmm. and then to add to that demo, I um, so I, I acquired some EOS dice that I from from making the rules. Yeah. So every time you make a rule on these gambling platforms, you acquire a small amount of their native token. It's kind of like mining it in a, a way, yeah. if you think about it. People. If you think the value of that token is going to go up, you 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 could just keep rolling not oh, yeah. only to play the odds but to acquire the well, dice and the, tokens. The bet dice has a really interesting sort of mining model like that, where I think there's two billion in the supply right now with a total fixed supply of eight point eight. But the way they do it is that right now I think for every uh, one EOS you bet, I think you get ten dice tokens. But once five percent of that total supply has been mined that way, it gets cut in half, and then it'll be oh you get um, for every what was it? For every two EOS you put up, then you'll get 10, by, 10 bet dice. Then it'll get halved again. It'll be four EOS, you'll get 10. So over time, it's going to take years and years and years and years for that total supply to eventually be mined, similar to how it works on Bitcoin, where it gets halved every four years or so. So to finish my demonstration story, yeah. I ran out of EOS in my account yeah. because I lost them all, <laughs> which, I, which I had all intentions of doing. Oh, I was absolutely. more interested in helping spread the good word of EOS. Yeah. And it was really cool. Everyone was like huddled around That's me. That's so cool. I wanted to send, I, I still wanted those dice tokens in a different wallet. So I needed to transfer them out of this throwaway wallet that I just created for this demo. Yeah. I couldn't do it because I didn't have any CPU because I didn't have any EOS. So they're like, oh, what are you going to do? I was like, watch this. <laughs> CPU emergency yeah. already built into the, the little DAP store on ES Links. Went to CPU emergency, got lended some bandwidth, transferred out my EOS dice tokens. Nice. No problem that's amazing yeah it was awesome so that's such a good story anyone going to a conference i'm, I'm sure you have these religion debates of yeah. who has the best blockchain just pull out your es dice or not any es bet es dice any dice game pull out your favorite wallet whether yeah. it's links meet one whatever one you know has very little friction and, and just pretend that you never heard of blockchain before and you got to create a wallet and start doing transactions from scratch and you could skip the part about acquiring the crypto. You could send it to yourself because you could just pretend a friend sent it to you. Yeah. Or you earned it in some way through a Steam at 2.0 or some or a Patreon possibly. So let's just pretend you that you, you have the currency. But as far as using the application and it feeling like you're not on a blockchain, seeing the speed at which you oh, can transact, yeah. it just blows people's minds because the majority of people you meet at any crypto conference is mostly familiar with Ethereum. Yeah. That's great, dude. That's such a good story and something I'll probably try to replicate somewhere else. This can be like the, the gall demonstration it, where people it, go out and show people their, it, their use. It's button. amazing. And it, it was really cool because everyone got so interested in it, too, because they had already spent hours hearing me talk about it. Yeah, yes. exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> well, what's then, cool about then that? they became believers. Yeah. Then you really convert the people and they go, oh, wow, this is real. Because all of the stuff that you just said over those, those two, three hours was then proven yeah. by this demonstration. 
And it was just really cool to bring up those talking points in, in front of a, a group of other uh, like-minded people who are very knowledgeable in the space. And they, they've heard of EOS and they, they know that the community has been growing, but they, they don't dig in enough to really understand the nuts and bolts of it. And I, yeah. I really enjoyed getting a, a chance to do that. Yeah. Well, and if you think about products in general, you know, people say like, oh, if you have a software product, when people use it, they should like it. And I feel like EOS is the first blockchain to actually achieve that, where to your point, you set up an account in, in two seconds on EOS links for 99 cents, right? Using your face and in-app purchase or using your uh, your touch ID and you're in. And that experience for people is what's going to get them to tell more people about it. Hey, mom, download this app, dad, download this app, tell your friends to download the mm -hmm. app and, and bring them in. And that is what's gonna get us to, to mass adoption on EOS is just that easy use and the, the frictionless experience. Yeah, th things need to be better than what people are currently using. So yep. we'll talk about Steam 2.0, Facebook 2.0, whatever 2.0 you wanna come up with, it's not going to work. It's not going to get users unless it's better than the centralized version we have. Oh, right absolutely. Uh, because the reason people use Facebook is because everyone else is on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, if there, if like, I think MySpace is still around, but there's no I one using so. it. Well, I think MySpace now was like a music site where you yeah. can add your favorite musicians and I don't know. So no one's going to migrate to it because they don't know anyone else on it. Yeah, exactly. Unless they're following some like little indie band that yeah. might be posting content to there. So it's really going to come down to where the users are, but it's kind of chicken and egg. The first users have to be us, the evangelists in the yep. blockchain world. But if, if it's so good that other people outside of the space can understand it and, and not have to know too much about a blockchain, that's whenever we'll know that we've made it. Definitely. So what's next, Robbie? So should we talk about Coindesk? Coindesk FUD, yeah. So, <laughs> so the, the, uh, why don't you just remind everyone about the Huobi issue while I uh, so pull up the article here. Recently, there's been uh, the Huobi, which is a, a huge exchange in the world, but mostly popular in Asia, um, came out and has been getting a lot of flack recently for um, an alleged document that came out. They've, they've sort of tried to deny it, but haven't really given proof that it's it's fake. And um, But anyway, the document showed that they were basically... Uh, colluding with other block producers and paying those block producers or getting paid by those block producers in exchange for voting for those block producers with their customers' tokens. So Huobi, if they have 40 million tokens that their customers are trusting them with, rather than letting their, you know, the, the users that are storing their tokens with them, rather than letting those users vote like Bitfinex does, Huobi was like, no, 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 screw you guys. We're going to vote on our behalf and make money off of your tokens without your input at all. Um, so this came out, it was a big controversy. And then of course, Vitalik from Ethereum picked it up and said, oh, EOS is a failure because, you know, this is happening. Coindesk picked it up and, and ran with that story. Um, but what's interesting about this is that, uh, you know, you can't stop vote buying, even if this is something in the Constitution where it's, it's a, you know, it's an amendment in the Constitution. Hey, no BP is allowed to buy, you know, votes from another BP or have these backroom deals. There's no way to prove it really. And there's really no way to stop it. So, what we need to focus on instead of trying to make rules to stop this from happening is focus on what the problem is. And Eos Aurora, who's a great new block producer that I highly recommend you vote for, um, came out with this awesome article, basically outlining some steps that they thought should be taking uh, across the ecosystem to fix this. One was, of course, increasing voter participation. That's number. I think that's number one. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. A lot of this collusion, so-called collusion. Uh, speculative collusion, uh, it wouldn't be possible or it wouldn't be as easy to do if more token holders were, were voting. So I think education on how to use these tokens is a big thing. Oh, absolutely. Um, once once that percentage goes up, what's, what was Dan's original goal? Where he, whenever he first backed out of the WPS, he said it was because not enough people were voting 
I don't know if he had an initial goal, but I know the voter participation now is pretty low. I think it's even though 55% of all tokens are actually staked, so mm -hmm. more than half of the supply is locked up right now, which is pretty crazy. And that happened faster than I thought it would. Um, only I think about 15 to 20% of those people are voting. So if, if Huobi owns 5% of the total tokens and they can go in when only 15% of people are voting, they can make big changes and control it. But if 60% of people were voting instead of 20, they'd have much, much less power and wouldn't be able to choose who they wanted in and out of the top 21. So the key here really is, you know, increasing voter participation. Um, the other... So that's like a long-term strategy. Oh, I, absolutely. I don't see that happening really soon. It's gonna, we're yeah. going to have to have some dApps that people are going to like. Yep. It's, it's going to take a really long time to educate just the crypto yeah. community first. And then obviously outside of the crypto community, it's a, that's a lot further timeline. What, what do you think should happen in the more immediate future? Like how, how should this be handled? And like, because I, I have some opinions on it. Yeah. I'd like to hear your thoughts. We, we, we see this as obvious collusion and vote buying. I, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. But how is that any different than block producers having good relationships with each other. So I don't see it as a negative thing if, I don't know, who, do you collaborate with anyone on any projects or meetup? You're doing the meetup with Dublin. Yeah, I don't, we had I a don't meet know up with Dublin. what affiliation you have with yeah. them, but let's just say you're doing a meetup and you've bumped into each other at a few conferences and you guys are friends. So you, you kind of support each other publicly. It's like, oh, I support these guys. Like we mention a lot of block producers on this show yeah. and they're typically people I vote for and you're a block producer, so if you say, I like EOS Canada, New York, Authority, they probably appreciate that. Right. And they would speak kindly of you. You're speaking kindly of them. You have personal tokens. You have your, your BP reward tokens, which I'm, I'm not sure how everyone votes with those. But is that collusion if you're supporting the people you know? Because in, in any business transaction, you trust the people who you know personally. Yeah. I, I like I could vote for Cypherglass all day every day because I see you around, I know you very well, I know you're not doing anything shady, so I have no problem voting for you, but I'm doing it because I know you. I think that's very different though than what Huobi is doing, which is actually paying people. Like if, yeah. if it, we there, were, there is a difference, but where yeah. do we draw the line on what collusion is? by definition, by what the Constitution states. I don't know. And I think uh, too many, and, and I was not of this opinion. First, my opinion was, oh, we have to come out. We have to, you know, put all these rules in place and prevent this from happening. But when I started hearing what other people were saying and what the community was saying um, about, you know, hey, guys, there's really no way to enforce this. It, a, a light bulb kind of went off and I went, oh, wow, the solution for this is not to make more rules that people mm -hmm. are just going to break anyway. The solution is to try to change voter behavior or one of the points in Aurora EOS's article was to drive usage over speculation where, you know, if you want to use a dApp like, um, you know, BetDice and you want to send people there, you can't keep your tokens on an exchange and do that. You have to withdraw them. So over time, then people like Huobi have less power, less tokens are stored on their exchange and that kind of goes away. But I, th I think the, the DEXs as they come out yeah. and get really good, uh, ES Phoenix will probably be the first really good one that yep. we see. Um, and then Dan's mentioned, uh, I don't, I'm not sure if he was talking block one specifically, but someone asked, why would someone want to use this DEX, whatever one they're talking about, over a regular exchange? And he said, margin trading. Yeah. So if you could have a decentralized peer-to-peer -peer lending system where you could, we've talked about lending out computation, mm -hmm. but there's also the opportunity to just lend out your tokens on, a, on, a, on margin to other people, yeah. which is basically how margin trading works on Bitfinex. It's peer-to-peer -peer through a centralized mm -hmm. server where they match up people who have 
extra tokens that they don't mind if if they're locked up and can't mm -hmm. be moved around. And then you have people with collateral who are, are able to borrow those tokens and buy buy more than they could actually afford with those. Do you think EOS Finex will have this built in, or do you think it's going to take Dan's decentralized exchange to do it? I, I don't know. Maybe Dan was talking about EOS Finex. But, oh, maybe. But I, I, I kind of doubt that just because, at least publicly, what I saw was it almost seemed like at the... Um, blockchain live that i saw some tweets where it looked like some of the block one team were seeing the eos phoenix demo for almost the first time yeah but at the same time we know uh some of the owners of bit were early investors in block one yep so there's definitely some common ground there that it's possible that they could have been kind of advising each other and what they're working on that way they're not overlapping on the same stuff i'm sure yeah but margin trading is going to be a huge opportunity to earn money with with your tokens with if it's a peer-to-peer -peer system with zero risk because um basically the way margin works is you have to have a certain amount of collateral in your wallet to account for the money you're borrowing and once you drop below that money you, you get liquidated and you pay out the lenders essentially mm -hmm. so the lenders always get paid and if that could be done programmatically in a trustless system then there's zero risk with lending out your tokens. Oh, absolutely. Because I, I've talked to you about this before. Yeah. Why don't you lend out your tokens? Because Counterparty you, you've risk. got a decent amount. Yeah. Uh, and anyone, anyone, even if you have 10 tokens, you could do it. And that's what you said. You said yeah. counterparty risk. Yeah, I don't trust, even though I love, you know, the guys at, at Bifinex specifically letting their token holders vote, I don't trust anyone. So I'm not going to store my tokens on any exchange to make an extra 1% a month or whatever it might be. It's exactly. just not worth the risk. But if you could do it through like your ledger. Oh, if I can do it Dex. If I can do it on a Dex where it's decentralized where I don't have to trust that that counterparty, I would do it in heartbeat. Mm -hmm. I'd be lending out all my EOS like, "Let's go, let's go." But uh, yeah, I'm excited to get to that that's, future. That's an easy way to earn. I I know like if if I wanted to take out a loan from the bank for instance. Yeah. Th this is where we talk about cutting out uh, middlemen yeah. in, in a blockchain-based system. So when you borrow money from the bank, if I want to get a personal loan to remodel my bathroom, mm -hmm. I, I could take out a loan against my house as collateral. Mm -hmm. So it's very similar using collateralized loans. Or I can get a personal loan. And a typical percentage, at least in the United States, for a personal loan without collateral is 9 to 12% if you have decent credit. Whew. So if I want to borrow money using a banking system, I'm paying mm -hmm. a nine to twelve percent interest. That's going to the bank, and it's 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 paying a lot of people who are involved in that process, and a lot of profit going to the bank. Oh yeah. But with a peer to peer lending system, um, I I don't know what the exact percentage is on, on margin, but you're you're paying sing like two three, I'd say three is like the top percentage that you'd be paying an interest on a yearly basis wow. if I was borrowing oh, yeah. money in cryptocurrency. I mean, it makes sense. If, if I could do that in a trustless way and use a decentralized exchange to do that, I would do that in a heartbeat for 3%. So it, it opens up opportunities to earn value. Yeah. You, if you put your money in just a bank account or a savings account, let's say, you're getting less than a percent interest these days on a money market oh, account with zero It's probably less than a tenth of a percent or a hundredth of a percent. And you're going to store your money either way. You just you, you, you want it to be low risk. You don't want to put it into the stock market. You just want it mm. to just be stored where it is. How could you make money off of that money? Well, a peer-to-peer -peer lending system is yeah. one way. It's so exciting. I mean, all the things that will happen and all the value that can then finally be realized and capitalized on in the tokenized future is super exciting. And this might be like a little too much of a tangent, but... 
think of real estate right now, it's very hard to move. But if all real estate was tokenized, suddenly you can have different baskets of real estate. So if you're looking to get exposure to the New York real estate market, you could have a basket for Brooklyn and a basket for the Upper West Side and a basket for the Upper East Side. And you could long the Upper West Side mm -hmm. and short the Upper East Side if you really wanted to. So the, the things that are going to be possible in the future beyond just lending out our EOS and making money in all these different ways and realizing that value in all these different ways I think it's going to be crazy. Like, if a you long wanted... way to go, but oh, that, yeah. that is the future. I, I, what's Absolutely. Your, what's your timeline on the real estate piece for that to actually... So it depends. I think we'll probably see it implemented in, in smaller countries like Malta. Malta's mm -hmm. trying to move to build a decentralized yep. bank along with Binance and do all these things. But when it comes to real estate, that's so heavily regulated, mm -hmm. specifically like the title registration portion of the real estate process, it's going to take a government to come in and say, hey, we now recognize this this blockchain and this application as a valid way to transfer a title. Then we'll start to see that Before happen. Before any of that could happen, we have to solve a lot of issues. We have oh, to solve yeah. the arbitration issue. Yeah, We have to figure that out. We have to actually ratify the Constitution yeah. so it's enforceable. Um, and you got to get government uh, uh, support, basically, yeah. to... to basically accept these smart contracts as legally binding. I would put us on a, a decade timeline for seeing the real effects of global tokenization, where a decade from now, the majority of things that we own will be tokenized in some way, and there will be ways for me to transmit that value. But it's going to take a while for people, for people and businesses and corporations to get on board and have their own blockchains that interface with the EOS main chain and, and do all these different things. So in the next decade, I think we'll see radical societal transformation because of blockchains, but it's going to take us a little while to get there. All right. So I think we skipped over something we added to our notes, an, a new voter proxy from a pretty prominent uh, community member. Yeah. You want to hit on that? So Mereo, or M-E-R-E-O.io, is run by somebody named Blockchain Kid on Twitter. But basically, they have a really interesting um, scoring methodology for which block producers their proxy votes for. So they do it based on voter diversity, which is the amount of individual voters you have voting for you. Uh, disclosure and accessibility, you know, how transparent are you? Structure and leadership. So, you know, how's your organization structured? How are your team members interacting with the community? And then value add tools. So, you know, Gray Mask coming out with a wallet, um, EOS Canada coming out with different tools and helping block producers, Cypherglass coming out with the glass tool and the ledger bounty and all these things. Um, and then they get ranked. So it, it's a very different top 21 we see here than we see in the current mainnet structure, which is pretty interesting. But I, I like the methodology they're using because I think it covers a lot of core um, aspects of what being a block producer is. So a common complaint on the actual rankings, if you go to like blocks.io and look at the rankings, is a lot of people in the Western world are saying, whoa, 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 there's too many Asian block producers on here. Yep. And then when the Huobi stuff came out, it's like, oh, crap, let, let's, let's complain about this because this is why the, the top block producers are being dominated by a Asian block producers. But you look at this proxy, I see EOS Asia at number four. Yeah. Where's where's the next Asian block producer? I don't think it exists on there. Exactly. Uh, well, Tokenika, I think, may be in. So it's kind of like you, you live in Poland. the world you know. And if you live in the Western side of the world, you're going to support the Western block producers. Right. And then in Asia, I bet if uh, there's a prominent proxy, which there may be, I'm not sure. I, I don't, I'm not familiar with it. But I'm sure it would be heavily Asian exchanges. Yeah. And when I think the guy from Huobi, his name's Denny, he was in one of the EOS channels kind of defending the ongoing scandal. He said that the reason they vote for the block producers they do are because those are the ones that they know. Right. Those are the ones they have a relationship with. I'm sure in the Asian communities when you're on uh, WeChat that you don't hear too much about Cypherglass over there. Right. And then over here, you probably don't hear too much about 
who will be, except when yeah. we're talking negatively of, of the things they've been caught doing. I mean, that's a great point. And that goes back to your like definition of collusion, where if they're just friendly with these people, if those are the only block producers they know and thus are, are able to trust, it, it kind of makes sense. So that's an interesting take on things. Yeah. I mean, there, there were definitely other aspects that I absolutely hated, um, if it's true, like the part where they were set. So at the beginning of the show, we talked about how block producers outside of the top 21 are paid based on the amount of votes they got. Yep. So the part that really pissed me off was that they were using very, very heavily weighted token staked votes to vote for block standby block producers who have add no value to the community. Mm. We don't even know what their infrastructure is like, if they but they're any. getting a block reward based on the percentage of votes they got. Yeah. Just because one single whale entity, whether it was a group of whale wallets or just one, they had enough votes to contribute to a standby block producer who may have ranked in, I don't know, let's say 60, they were able to earn, let's say a hundred tokens a day. Yeah. And then in exchange from what I understand, the agreement was if they earned a hundred uh, EOS tokens that day because of being a standby block producer, just because of these votes, they would split those EOS and give half of the block reward yeah. back to Huobi. So that's the kind of vote buying that pisses me off. Oh, because absolutely. it's not adding value. Well, they're just draining value from the ecosystem. But if they were just voting for six block producers that they're really close with, maybe they have business ties to, and they, they trust them, they know mm. that they're doing good. I think it's their job to expand their horizons and maybe research more block producers. But if, if they only wanted to vote for the ones that they knew with 100% certainty that they trusted, then they voted for the six that they knew. Right. Makes sense. But there, there, it seems to me that there's definitely some sort of collusion. But is it considered collusion in other cultures? Or are we mm, speaking that's from interesting. Our, our, our perspective? I don't know. I mean, I think we are definitely speaking from a Western perspective, mm -hmm. but it'll be interesting to see kind of how this unfolds and see what Huobi does. They've, they've said publicly they're doing an internal, quote, internal investigation on this. So maybe they'll come out and we'll realize it was two employees there doing this under the, behind, the, behind the scenes, under the table, or maybe they'll, they'll find a solution for it. But whatever happens, it'll be really interesting that, to see. This is where I see the value in the proxies, though. So we talked about we, we have to improve voter turnout and participation. One of the biggest issues is we, we do the show every week. I mean, I don't do EOS all day, every day like you do. But, but I keep up on things, and I have a really hard time knowing a lot about the 30 block producers I'll vote oh, for. Oh, yeah. I know enough about maybe half of them mm -hmm. to say I really, really trust these guys. I can name at least one thing they've done and one person in the community who I've seen them around on Telegram. But the other 15, I'm mostly just going on these rating sites, going to their website, just saying, okay, they, they look like they're doing a decent job, but I don't have the time to do the due diligence to really, really deep dive. And yeah, absolutely. Even if I did, do I really know them? Yeah. So I could see why people are, are not using all 30 of their votes. I'll use all 30 just because I, I feel like I'm wasting my tokens if I'm not. Right. But maybe I'm supporting the wrong ones. Hmm. So that's where, I, that's where I see the value of these proxies are. The, these, the biggest issue I see them having is the ability to monetize. Yeah. So staking votes through a proxy is not... Uh, paying that proxy in any way. But I, I saw one of the use cases for Patreos was uh, one of the use cases they mentioned was proxies. That could be one possible way that you could support the proxies financially is through a system like Patreos <laughs> or just donations in general. Right. Because I, I see proxies being one of the most important pieces to this ecosystem because if they had funding, which they don't currently, 
they could employ full-time people who their only job is to interact with these block producers on a personal basis. Let's take a call. I want to know what you're doing. I want to mm -hmm. meet you. Maybe I'll fly out to Asia and come see your infrastructure and meet you guys. That's where I see the value of these proxies because um, after spending last week with, with the guys at Veyon, and we, we, I asked them what they were going to do with their tokens, and I, I gave them a lot of advice on it because any business, whether you're doing an ICO, an airdrop, or you're running EOS Dice, any business model that is new, that's built on top of EOS, where your revenue model is generating revenue in EOS, and you're just building up EOS, building up EOS, you have a lot of tokens. What is your responsibility yeah. on governance issues? So the way I see it is in, in the future, and the future starts today, any business building on EOS has a responsibility to, to pay attention to what's going on in on-chain governance because the incentives are aligned. This mainnet chain needs to be strong. We, we got to get past all of these issues like, like with the collusion FUD and work together on this. And the way that's going to be done is in as part of the business model, you either need to have a person on your staff who's able to just dedicate their time to researching these issues, maybe participate in the working groups with the US Alliance, or you need to support a proxy. Yeah. And when I say support a proxy, I'm not just saying stake your millions of dollars of EOS you've made because EOS, DICE, and what's the other one you call Bet it? Dice. Bet DICE. They've made a lot of money. They, good for them. Mm -hmm. they, they, they deserve it. But what are they, what are they doing with those tokens? Are, are, are they going to vote for the five or six block producers that they know? Or are they going to participate in the WPS when it, when it comes up? Mm -hmm. Or are they going to support a proxy? Why not sponsored employee at the proxy? Okay, yeah. I, will pay the sal I, will, I will pay a fourth of the salary of one employee to just specifically focus on governance. And then maybe other businesses will sponsor a proxy. And then eventually these proxies could actually be viable businesses where yeah. essentially they're just being the watchdogs of the EOS IO yeah. platform. Well, and to your point, I think it's not only important for businesses and dApps that are building on the EOS network to actively participate in governance because it makes your chain better and gets more people coming and using your dApps, but the people who have invested in EOS, especially if you have a significant portion of EOS and you're just sitting on the sidelines waiting for it to gain value, it's not going to gain value without you participating in governance, making sure you know, doing your best to combat vote collusion by allocating your vote to a good proxy like Mirio or going out and voting for block producers yourselves. I think it takes everybody within the ecosystem to take an active role in governance. You know, you don't have to come out and debate on different governance theories and, and do the, that part of it if it doesn't interest you. But just coming out and voting for the, the handful of block producers that you know and trust and are doing a good, you know, collusion-free job, that helps dramatically. So just mm -hmm. to your point, taking a more active role, I think, will be huge, especially with the dApps. And demo these damn demo demo these damn dice games whether you're a gambler or not just whenever you do it just understand you're going to lose all of your money yeah we do not but endorse gonna, but you're going to evangelize the eos main absolutely we do not endorse and gambling fun, and it's fun to do yeah i think that's a good place to stop we've been going for a long time this has been a, a sort of a bonus episode we've you know both been in different countries the last couple of weeks and haven't been in the same place so we had a ton to talk about a ton of stuff happened this last week so if you made it this far thank you for watching the whole episode but uh until next time i'm zach go i'm rob finch and this is everything use